Hi everyone, this is Sam Black with Drafting Archetypes, and this week I'm going to be discussing White Red in Lost Caverns of Ixalan. As always, notes are available at patreon.com slash draftingarchetypes, and linked to in the uh, in my Discord uh, in the podcast section. So, big picture on White Red. Um, according to 17 lands in recent weeks, so filtering for just the last, I don't know, two or three weeks roughly, White Red has been the fourth best performing uh, by win rate among two color pairs behind blue, white, red, green, and blue, red. It's also the fourth most commonly drafted behind those same archetypes. That might be because I'm looking at more recent results. So uh, it would be more, I didn't really pay, like, pay attention to comparing recent to all time, uh, but it's noteworthy that the Best performing are also the most drafted, possibly now that most people who are playing have access to that data, and so they know to draft the decks that are doing well, but that's where White Red falls. Notably, I would usually say fourth best performing is kind of middle of the pack. In terms of like win rate gaps, the top three are really, really close to each other, and notably ahead of White Red, which is then notably ahead of everything else. So top of middle of the pack or like a tier two draft deck behind the clear tier one of uh, white, red, red, green, and blue, red. So that, that's how it's performing. I think that this set has like the second most ambitious approach to white, red from like a limited design standpoint of any set I can think of since Strixhaven. So Strixhaven for those who don't know, was a like gold set focusing on enemy colored pairs and tried to kind of reimagine what those gold sets could look like and what the colored pairs could do relative to uh, Ravnica as kind of the f foundational text on how the color pairs work. So in Strixhaven, White Red was kind of reimagined as an attrition deck um, that used the graveyard to generate long-term long value. But the cards individually were still doing things that were like in white-red's portion of the color pie. And the effect was that Lorehold was basically just a failure. The rate on doing the attrition stuff that it could do couldn't match up to like the blue card advantage and bigger creatures offered by other color combinations. And so White Red ended up needing to try to play an aggressive role that it wasn't really designed for, that it was basically just worse at than White Black. Here, White Red is similarly reimagined somewhat, but in a way that I think is like less adversarial to the color pie and more successful because of that. So White Red in most sets is either just generically about like its theme is just white red aggro or some other words to express we tried to make trumpet blast a good effect so white red is often doing like a token or go wide type thing here it is still going wide in a sense but it's more going wide with game objects than necessarily with creatures, which is kind of a fun twist because the game objects don't 
have inherent value and they're not attacking, so they're not, it's not playing quite the same way. But thanks to uh, Sunshot Militia in particular, the one in red, one three, that lets you tap to uh, permanence, non land permanence artifacts or creatures to deal damage to your opponent, those objects end up kind of becoming evasive attackers or otherwise serving your agenda. So white-red in this set is aggressive, but in a way that hinges less on having a way to punch through your opponent's blockers, I guess. I think that white-red in this set is a lot more structurally similar to kind of a traditional blue-white skies deck than white-red usually is. You're focusing on early damage and then you want to like get your opponent as low as possible just by curving out with like any creatures that you can. Expect that they're going to have better creatures than you on the ground and pivot to trying to finish them off with your direct damage from cards like Sunshot Militia and uh, Panicked Altasaur as well as your like white flyers. The effect of uh, playing more like a Skies deck rather than a traditional aggro deck is that combat tricks are a little bit worse, which also lines up with the idea that you care more about uh, amassing number of permanents and also removal, especially removal that like requires that the creature being killed is in combat in some way. So stuff like Cosmium Blast and Quicksand Whirlpool are better than they would be uh, if you imagine your deck as like uh, an attack on the ground type deck. So that's kind of how I see White Red's structural positioning and how I, I would be approaching uh, the draft philosophically. I think the best White Red decks are like built around this evasive strength. And that means that their priorities are cheap creatures, especially aggressive creatures, but any cheap creature will do because they're going to account for like some amount of early damage because you do want to like curve out and get ahead and put your opponent on the defensive because that buys you the most time to finish your opponent off while also uh, making you need to find the least damage to finish them off. And then uh, removal and the cards that you want to avoid are basically expensive creatures, though notably Panic Al Panicked Altasaur is on plan as a good blocker that also contributes to your uh, like burn them out plan. So an example of how this manifests, I've talked in other episodes about how white decks broadly can incorporate a package of cards uh, that are kind of built around supporting Adaptive Gem Guard uh, with Adaptive Gem Guard, the one and three colorless, three, three artifact creature that you can tap two artifacts or creatures to put a counter on it playing well with uh, Ultic Landmark, the one-mana artifact that uh, scries to when it enters, and then you can craft it into a flying creature that can uh, jump your gem guard or any other attacker. Uh, and then Tinkerer's Tote as a way to go wide to put counters on gem guard. Uh, White Red is interested in the supporting cast, but not interested in the gem guard itself. Uh, White Red has other things to do with uh, those go-wide elements, and Gemguard just doesn't really contribute appropriately to your overall game plan. It's uh, like too hard to get through, too much of an investment, too uh, easily answered, 
Um, it's just not where you want to be um, because it, yeah, do doesn't contribute to planet. Uh, the other th reason that Gemguard and similar creatures don't play well is as you're trying to play more removal within white-red, you end up playing some of the like second tier removal, which is the removal that's a little bit more expensive, like Rock Slide or Quicksand Whirlpool, or removal like Sunfire Torch, the equipment that gives plus one power, and you when a creature holding it attacks, you can sacrifice it to, to do two damage or something. That requires that you have a creature for it to work as removal. And so for Torch to work, you need to be prioritizing cheap creatures. And if you're playing three and four mana removal spells, those you don't want to like also have three and four mana creatures in your deck. You want to have cheaper creatures, and then on like turn three or four, when you use a removal spell to kill your opponent's creatures, your cheaper creatures are like getting in and pushing damage, and your hand's not too clunky. So the fact that your creatures like in the middle of the curve are just going to be worse on rate than the other color creatures. Uh, just because, I mean, red and white, both of them structurally, the thing that they're good at isn't three to five mana creatures. They generally uh, excel at like one and two mana creatures. And then in this set where like even blue is kind of getting in on big creatures because of the descend stuff, um, your creatures, uh, the creatures in white and red just end up getting outclassed by uh, creatures in other decks. And so it's just best not to like play that game. Avoid the expensive creatures, focus on the cheap creatures and removal. And um, that's just generally what you want to be doing. So within this philosophy, there's room for significant variation because like you want different disparate elements, right? You want reach, you want cheap creatures, and you want removal. And you can have varying amounts of each. And you also want like wide objects. And you can have uh, varying amounts of each of those things. So like if you open a powerful rare, of which there are a lot that like work particularly well in this color combination, stuff like Quintorius Cond and Thousand Moon Smithy. If you open any of those, then you are better positioned to play a slightly more controlling role and you want to prioritize removal a little bit more highly. But because of what I said earlier about the way that the removal plays, even when you're trying to be in this like more controlling position, you still want to be like early creatures that can pivot into controlling and you still want to prioritize cheap creatures rather than like more expensive creatures that block well. And so like you kind of want the same cards just in different ratios. So if you have a bomb, you're like better at pivoting into control with like a little bit more removal. Maybe you value your like Cosmium Blasts a little bit more highly. While if you have like good aggressive cards and not like bombs, then you probably focus more on other good aggressive cards and really prioritizing the reach elements, uh, the militias and even Itali's favor, which I should talk a little bit more about. So what I'm saying there, I think I've basically said the deck can be drafted with like slightly different game plans where it prioritizes cards in slightly different orders, 
but you still want to be prioritizing from among the same pool of cards. So a few notable data points. Atali's favor is the best performing red common in this archetype. That's the two and a red enchant creature that gives plus one, plus one, and trample and discover three uh, on ETB. This is a card that has uh, overperformed in uh, like for the entire life of the format across varying archetypes. I still suspect that it's not what most people would expect to be the top performing red-white uh, common. It's not baffling to me that it is. Uh, I think that you know it plays very well on like a Miner's Guidewing, which is the best performing common overall in the archetype, or like a Volatile Wanderglyph, um, the uh, two mana two two that rummages when it becomes tapped by just giving you extra attacks, pushing extra damage. And then, you know, you discover into something else. So it's just like extra stats while, uh, like it's extra hasty, persistent damage that's also developing your board with some other thing. So your like best aggressive draws are like some creature into favor that hits decently on its discover. That's going to like push a lot more damage than like playing uh, like, plundering pirate that turn or something aside from that well another kind of weird one looking at recent performance the five mana ultech archaeologists have uh, a small sample size of very strong results like one of the top white commons i don't really know what to take away from this i don't think that it's like a crucial card for the deck and it's you know when a card is played in low Frequency, it doesn't mean, hey, this archetype wants this card. It means some versions of this deck want this card. And if people are only putting it in versions of the deck that like have premium artifacts that it can like find or rebuy or something, then uh, that would account for it like performing particularly well. So I think the card is like, fine but not a priority and not even something i would want in most red white decks it has stats that indicate to some extent that it should be significantly better than that but uh again because it's with such a low rate of play i wouldn't assign all that much uh weight to that the other cards that are performing well i think are basically what you would expect uh given what i've said about what the priorities are uh, Miner's Guidewing, the 1-1 one, one Flying Vigilance that uh, lets something else explore when it dies, the top performing, followed by Ultech Cloud Guard, the 4-mana 3-2 Flyer that makes a 1-1, one, one, which both gives you an evasive attacker and goes wide, followed by Petrify, the Passivism type removal spell, uh, again showing the um, importance of removal in the format, Atali's Favor, Sunshot Militia, Abrade, um, Goblin Tomb Raider, uh, panicked Altasaur, Volatile Wanderglyph, Quicksand Whirlpool, Tinker's Tote, Idol the Deep King, Plundering Pirate. Uh, I'm going to hope that at this point, if you're still interested in the format, you know what enough of those are. It would be too clunky to read all of them. So yeah, those are broadly the commons that you're looking for. All of them, I think, are structurally in line with the strategy that I'm suggesting. For me personally, from like looking at the stats, looking at the recent trophy decks, and just kind of thinking about what's going on here. My, like what I've learned from this process is that I think previously I'd been kind of overrating Plundering Pirate in the archetype and uh, underrating Quicksand Whirlpool. I think 
Plundering Pirate is like it gives you two objects and it looks like an aggressive creature, but the size and the time that it comes down, I think it doesn't actually end up pushing very much damage. And because you want a pretty low curve and you're kind of playing Plundering Pirate because you like the extra object, you're not really excited about the mana offered by the treasure. And um, it's just not that exciting of a two objects for three mana. Because um, like the most of what it's really offering you is like off plan or not optimally efficient for being on plan. Where Quicksand Whirlpool, I usually think of as a removal spell that's good in controlling decks and therefore not something that an aggressive red-white deck would want. Uh, understanding that I should be recontextualizing red-white as a skies deck where removal spells uh, that like exile attacking creatures uh, are significantly better, that made it click for me that Quicksand Whirlpool like made sense as a desirable card in this archetype, especially given how much bigger the opposing creatures are than you, and so how it can be really nice to have that hard removal to uh, answer like the big creatures that can um, race your flyers on the ground. So people often ask me like, hey, what have you learned recently or something? And uh, those were the main uh, updates and takeaways for me. I wanted to touch briefly on the white-red gold card. Caprocti uh, Sunborn is kind of the good version of Adaptive Gem Guard. Um, like it's just a much stronger card. Uh, it comes in larger and doesn't take as long to get going and um, pays you off a lot better for having stuff to like tap. Um, where Gemguard is bad, Sunborn is just good enough on rate to be a good card. But notably, it's not uh, the best white-red uncommon, which is Rune Lurker Bat, uh, the 1-1 one -one flying lifelink uh, that scries if you descended. Um, that's the best by quite a bit in the archetype. Um, it's actually only the sixth performing uh, uncommon in white red, which makes sense to me because, again, it's um, you know kind of off plan, right? It's like a mid range creature in an archetype that really wants to prioritize uh, its early game and removal and reach, and this like doesn't have evasion or anything. Uh, it's just good enough on rate um, that you're happy to play it anyway, and it can certainly steal games and stuff, but. Yeah, str strong card that's like weirdly a little bit off plan. All right, I think with that, I've touched on everything that I planned to cover. So I'm going to uh, turn it over to chat for questions while I'm letting people think about those and uh, type them for me. Um, I do want to, as always, take a moment to both plug my Patreon and thank the newest patrons. So thank you very much to Kai and Bastion for uh, joining patreon.com slash draftingarchetypes and supporting the podcast. And if anyone else is interested in uh, doing the same, check out that website and see you know what we have to offer. And thanks for the consideration. All right, so uh, questions. Can I comment on the one-drop landmark? Uh, Ultec landmark, Ultec clan? something maybe landmark uh yeah it's medium um <laughs> i have talked about liking it as a way to give gem guard flying uh this archetype is interested in evasive threats 
it can become one. Um, I would want to be pretty sure that I expected to have an artifact in my graveyard to craft with it pretty early if I were to consider putting it in my deck. Other reasons to play it would be if Scry is particularly valuable, notably because I have some kind of like very, very good bomb that I'm looking to scry toward. Uh, also, if I'm just like short on flyers and end up with like high power creatures that I would like to send into the air, then I'd be a little bit more interested in it. But I certainly don't think that it's a like premium threat in a white red deck overall. Um, it's just a little bit slow to get going because of the desire to have something in the graveyard to craft with it. Um, that you're not necessarily good at making happen early unless you have like multiple wander glyphs or something. Uh, which generically good cards lose the most value in this archetype? Sawblades question mark. So not sawblades. Uh, for the same reason that I like Quicksand Whirlpool, I think Sawblades is very good in this deck. Um, I do expect that my opponent will start attacking me at some point in the course of the game and that I'll want to be able to kill their attackers. And then the extra 5-5 vehicle becomes like a pretty good threat. Like it's just a great card that continues to like be a two for one here. So, I mean, to some extent, like the cards that I touched on, like Plundering Pirate and Adaptive Gem Guard, like any of the kind of like uh, mid-sized playables, like even, for example, uh, the 4-3 Raptor, that's like a good aggressive card, I think is nowhere near as good as it looks like it should be in an aggressive deck in white-red. So I think, you know, a lot of it's like going to be pretty obvious, like, oh, I don't want this kind of, you know, like defensively statted or expensive creature in my um, aggressive deck. But I think like the extent to which you want to not get into this is good rate for like its stats, but doesn't have evasion and costs like three or more mana. Those are the things that I think you generally want to deprioritize, which doesn't mean like strictly avoid, but deprioritize in white red. I said that uh, LCI was the next most um, ambitious design of white red since Strixhaven. What's the first? No, I, I meant the most after Strixhaven, um, where Strixhaven was the most. Double checking the envoy that makes one one tokens is not the best home in white red, correct? Well, so that's a tricky question because it's not really good in other places either. And as a result, it might actually be best in white red because you do want a very low curve and you do use wide objects relatively well. And three, three for three is like decent numbers when you're trying to attack. So I could kind of see playing one in a red-white deck, like more likely than I would want it in like green-white or blue-white. Uh, green-white because you're really not interested in like having a mana sink because you're very focused on like getting your opponent dead. Blue-white because I expect to have better stuff to do with the mana going long. Uh, the best home for the 3-3 three, three that makes 1-1 one, one tokens is probably black-white, though the card's just like not very good in general. Um, so I wouldn't say you should like deprioritize it relative to your baseline in red, white, but your baseline for the card should be very low. Um, how many creatures do you need for Atali's favor to be good? Would you, uh, cut, um, object removal for it, such as torture idol? Yeah. I, I think that 
unless you are specifically trying to be a very controlling version of white red because you have like some bombs that you're trying to solve for uh you know Atali's favor should be prioritized over mid-tier red removal given you know like its win rate is like several percent higher um like it performs the like, given that it performs better than premium removal it seems like it would be generally a mistake to play medium removal and not play favor as to how many creatures you need i'm more concerned with how many one two and three mana creatures i have especially one and two mana creatures uh like a four or five mana creature contributes almost nothing to how happy i am putting atali's favor in my deck because like i'm not really looking to cast it on turn six i'm looking to cast it on turn three or maybe on turn four if i had another good play on turn three so the thing is like because of what i'm trying to do with white red i'm going to be pretty unhappy with where my deck is if i don't have enough one and two drops to want to play favor regardless like i, I want a lot of one and two drops in my white red deck just like for strategic positioning and then like the favors of free roll after that so like the question of how many do you need for favor to be good is kind of tied into how many do you just like want in your deck or need for your deck to be good which is why favor is so good in white red is you don't have to like go out of your way to enable it at all that number i mean ideally i would want like two plus one drops and absolute minimum for two drops but like i think i want to have like i don't know as many one one flyers as i can get uh for one and then i would also be fine with some tomb raiders and then like if i have two or fewer one drops then i want like i don't know six to eight two drops or something would I ever be open to expanding a draft that starts white red into Jeskai or the cards I'm picking usually too aggressive to pivot in that way? Uh, no, I'm, I'm always open to pivoting uh, if the payoff is high enough or if I'm getting caught or like when it's when it's right um, or when it looks like it might be right. And given that like white red is looking to value removal pretty highly and removal pivots pretty smoothly from like this into like a slower deck um that pivots like not very hard and so also like plundering pirate while not as good as i thought is still a strong card that still plays really really well if you're trying to for example splash uh master's guide mural which is a good card to splash so uh, especially, I mean, it, it does somewhat depend on which portion of the cards that Red White wants I have seen, but I, I definitely don't think that, like, just because you have, like, I don't know, two or three, like, one and two drops that you suddenly, like, can't pivot uh, into, like, adding another color or whatever. Looks like that will cover it. Nice and short for a pretty simple archetype. I want to comment uh, moving forward. I've had some questions about whether I will be covering Ravnica Remastered uh, on Drafting Archetypes. My understanding is that the set will not be available on Arena, which means that I am not likely to stream the set very much. With sets like this in the past, I've sometimes done a single episode uh, covering the set. I'm not exactly sure about when the set's released it might be this weekend or next weekend or something 
it's something that I'm going to give some thought and see if I have a convenient opportunity to play. I will likely try to do one, maybe even two episodes about Ravnica Remastered. I'm certainly not going to uh, give it full coverage, but there's a decent chance that I'll talk about it a little bit. Um, so for those who have been interested in that or wondering about the direction of uh, the podcast in the coming weeks, especially given that I've kind of gotten through a lot of Lost Caverns of Ixalan relative to the um, number of weeks uh, remaining before uh, Carlo Manor's out. Um, that's uh, something that I plan to include. And I suppose, given the amount of time that I'm not really sure how to fill, I might end up doing more than I think of Ravnica Remastered. It would be nice to find something better. Uh, I'm not exactly sure about exactly what I'm going to be doing each week uh, until Carlo Manor comes out, though. Um, so. That's a bit of housekeeping. Thanks for listening, everyone. And I will be back next week with either Ravnica Remastered or Lost Caverns. I'm not 100% certain yet. All right. Bye for now. Have a good week. Prepare for light speed.